Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sports Virus Podcast, everybody. I'm Joe Castellano, and today we have a very special guest. It's Larry Kruger, who has spent decades as a sports talk radio host, worked for KMBR 680 for many years, including recently, and also had his own show on Sirius XM. And I met Larry when he hosted the Giants post-game shows on KMBR. We first met, I don't know, about 20 years ago. I was his fill-in, and Larry Kruger joins us here. Delighted to have him on the Sports Virus Podcast. Larry, how you doing? Joe, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, you know, there's nothing really going on in the world of sports, so I thought it'd be a good time to have you on. You know, there's really there's not much to talk about, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> NFL's about to explode. Uh, you know, we're going to condense an entire baseball offseason into like three days, probably, and uh, it's going to be you know, buckle your chin strap and get ready for all the moves coming. Right. Uh, and we'll get to talking about all that. But first of all, I, I just wanted to talk about, uh, you know, your recent career change here as KMBR parted ways with you. And I'm just curious, I mean, how much did that catch you off guard? I know you loved being a talk show host there at KMBR. You know, it, it didn't catch me off guard at all. It's just kind of the way of the industry right now. And, uh, you know, it's just it's not how many times you get knocked up, knocked down. It's how many times you get back up. Right. So. You know, it did, but yeah, no, it didn't catch me off guard, and um, you know, so it's now on to the next uh, venture or ventures, and uh, I'm excited. Yeah, no, I want to talk about that. I, I was disappointed because you know I enjoy listening to you every day there uh, during the afternoon, and and as I said on a previous podcast when I had Ray Woodson on last week, if I have Larry Kruger on my roster. I want to use him somewhere. So I was just shocked, to be honest with you, that uh, KMBR wouldn't see it that way and then you know, just parting ways completely because, to me, you were so valuable to them in a lot of ways, not just the talk show, but also you know, especially when you know, 49ers games are on and you're doing pregame, postgame, and that kind of stuff, just so valuable. Well, I really appreciate the, uh, the, uh, you know, the kind words. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know why... Uh, people make the decisions they make, but it's not for me to dwell on. It's just for me to uh, to move forward, and I got a lot of confidence in my ability to to do a good job. So I feel good. I feel good. I mean, I know it's you know, anytime one door closes, it's always kind of oh man. But um, you know, I, I'm focusing more on not the door that's closing, but the doors that are opening. And uh, it's it's been an exciting week, and I expect uh, the, the next couple of weeks to even be more exciting. Yeah, and one of the reasons why I think you're really going to do well, Larry, going forward, too, is the versatility that you showed at KMBR. Because, I mean, you started out, as I mentioned, doing the Giants postgame, and I just thought you were fantastic in that role. I, I actually missed that a lot, you know, driving home from Giants games and the way that you were able to take on the callers and, and evaluate what was going on with the Giants. And, of course, since then, you, you worked with several different partners and different uh, roles and di- different time slots at KMBR, but do you sort of miss those days uh, when you were doing the Giants post game? Well, you know what? Um, there may be, uh, <laughs> you know, you never know. You know, you may, you may, you may be uh, listening to me doing, you know, on the drive home from post game, uh, you know, to, at some point this year. So uh, it won't be on KMBR, but uh, if you liked me in that post game slot, 
you, you may like some of the things I got coming up here in the in the near future. All right, well, that's really good. And I really enjoyed doing that post game slot. By the way, you know, it's like uh, you're right. I, I love um, talking about the game and being you know critically discussing the game, and sometimes that means ripping the manager, or ripping the players, or ripping the front office, or whatever. But that's just all part of it. And then uh, taking the calls and talking to people, and uh, you know, sometimes mixing in, you know, an informed guest or two. Um, in some ways, I think that 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 uh, post game slot is is really uh, a great one. So I, I could see myself doing stuff there. Yeah, I mean, and as somebody who grew up in San Francisco, you know, a fan of the teams here, uh, you you have that unique perspective because you know a lot of. Uh, talk show hosts, they, they didn't grow up in that market. They may go to a market and, and they just kind of, you know, take on that team. But you have that passion as somebody who actually grew up rooting for the teams here. And I always felt like that was kind of, you know, if I had an advantage on anybody, that might have been it. Just the fact that I'm not manufacturing passion. You know, I wasn't in Minneapolis last year and Tulsa three years ago and Dallas five years ago and you know, Salt Lake City 10 years ago, you know, I'm, I'm, I grew up a Giants fan, a Niner fan, a Warrior fan. And, uh, so it's very much a labor of love. And then of course, also, you know, the history of those teams kind of like the back of your hand, you know, because it, now I would, I wouldn't have that same knowledge if I was talking about teams in other markets, but, um, uh, you know, me, I, I, I like to do my homework and I like to make sure that I'm current on, uh, on, on every sport and every player, and if I can't be, then I I work try I work to work at it to try to be current. Yeah, that was the first thing I noticed. It's not just listening to you, but I walked into the Canbr studio. It might have been 2002 or three, and you were getting ready for a show. And you know, I was going to be your fill in, so they had me stand there. And I looked at the sheets of paper that you had, and you had a highlighter that was probably worn out from how many highlights you were doing, and and you had this whole book. And I'm like, man, I am not ready to do this. Look at this guy. I mean, you know, when I was doing play-by-play, maybe I'd be like that. But for a talk show, I I didn't even know what to do. And I'm looking at you, and you're just so prepared. So, you know, that has to be the key to what you've had as far as your success. Well, okay, so I've I've always come at this thing. You know, before I got into radio, I did scouting. And, you know, then I transitioned to radio. And I just always wanted to, um, you know, if anybody who knew me, as a Canadian Football League scout or knew me as an NFL scout with the Cardinals. Um, I wanted them to feel like if they had a scouting job available and if they wanted me, that, that I was, that I was you know, still keeping up on things at the same level that I was you know, prior to doing radio. So, so kind of I held myself to that high standard of, you know, um, be you know, be a hundred percent prepared, and you could over prepare. And I've there's been many shows throughout my career where I'm like my head's spinning because I over prepared and I have too many things to say. So it's finding that middle ground. You know, sometimes you can rip and read and be organic, and sometimes you can be super prepared. But there is such a thing as being over prepared, and I've definitely had a couple broadcasts throughout my career where I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm over prepared here. So. You know, it's just a matter of trying to find that sweet spot and find that happy zone. And then for me, I just always wanted anybody who knew me as a scout to say, yeah, you know, he's still current. He's still current on the NFL. He's still current on college football. He's still current on the draft. Um, And I, I think I am. 
Yeah, you certainly are. And uh, I think that it showed even on this new YouTube show that you did uh, on Wednesday. Tell us about that. You just got it started with Grant Cohn. Now, this is going to be a weekly show. Uh, you know, how much fun is that? What are the plans for that? Well, I'm, I'm, I started my own YouTube channel, uh, the Krug Show channel on YouTube. And, uh, you know, we're going to have a thousand followers and a thousand subscribers, I should say, and be ready to monetize probably before tomorrow. So that's great. Uh, it's going really, really well. What you saw there with Grant is just what I'm going to be doing on Wednesdays at three o'clock. Um, you know, I'm going to be doing that show with him, but I'm going to be putting out my own, um, my own content um you know give you an example uh, today at 3 30 i'm going to do a youtube sit down with dave softy mauler who is the uh, seahawks kind of guy up at kjr in seattle and we're going to talk all about russell and and wagner and and you know deshaun watson and all the rumors and talk uh, surrounding the seahawks so we'll do a whole a whole breakdown on that on youtube and then i'll release that later tonight and uh, put out some of the highlights on twitter and you know, away we go. So I'll be put it, producing my own content. I'll be doing, you know, people think, oh, you're doing this thing with Grant. Well, first of all, I like Grant, and Grant Grant does a great job, and I'm looking forward to doing the Wednesdays with him. Uh, but that's just part of the YouTube channel. You know, the, I'm, I'm going to be doing all sports. Uh, you know, I'm going to be doing a lot of football, a lot of draft, a lot of Giants, a lot of Niners, a lot of Warriors, um, you know, maybe even some post game on YouTube. So there's all that coming up. And it's just all part of kind of the the YouTube uh, venture, and I'm I'm really really excited. I, I just I'm excited to be on a growing platform with a younger audience base that gives me the ability to do a lot of creative things. And then you know I've been doing a three man show the last three years, and you know God bless those guys. I really enjoyed it uh, uh, working with Tommy and working with Rod and. Uh, they're good guys, and I really liked it. But, you know, this is going to enable me to kind of do a, a little bit more of what I want to do, and um, I'm, I'm excited about it. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. And, by the way, one of the great things about the YouTube uh, channel is that it's archived, so you can watch it anytime you want. I really like that aspect of it. But I'm glad you brought up working with partners because although you were great in that role, I, I'm not going to take anything away from that, I always thought that – you were spectacular solo, and not everybody can do that. Not everybody can do the monologue or just keep everybody's attention for hours if they are solo. I mean, I think it's an amazing skill that you have, and, and some others, not a lot of people around the country have that skill. So you know, just tell us about doing that, You know, not having somebody to bounce stuff off of, uh, but yet being entertaining in that way. Well, it's a huge challenge, first of all. I mean, um, you know, you know, if, if you've got to carry the whole thing, you've got to do it in a different way. You've got to breathe in a different way. You've got to, you've got to think in a different way. You've got to be, you've really got to have a game plan of what you want to do in each segment and where you want to go and, uh, you know, what you want to touch on. And you better always have what you're doing next at the ready. Um, cause there is no, there, you know, there's no time to pause. You know, you're not sharing. So it's, you know, I personally like the two-man thing the best um, because I do like talking to people as opposed to just po just posing things to an audience, even if the audience is interactive, even if you get a full bank of calls and a full bank of texts and a very engaged audience. 
it's still more fun to talk to somebody and have a conversation. So, you know, if I could choose between one man, two man, three man, I like two men. I like two men. I think it's an organic conversation. Um, and I think that's the best that our medium has to offer. Um, I, I appreciate the compliment saying that you liked me as a one person show. And it's in some scenarios, I don't mind being a one person host. Um, but if you really gave me my druthers, I'd rather have a two person, you know, back and forth conversation. Yeah, understandable. All right, let's get into some of the leagues. And as you mentioned already, NFL with so much happening right now. And I do want to touch on the 49ers. But first of all, how surprised were you about Russell Wilson getting traded? We knew that he wasn't happy. You you know, you you could get a feeling that might be imminent. But to actually pull the trigger, were you surprised? You know, when I first heard the Russell Wilson trade rumors over a year ago, I was surprised that they would consider trading what I consider a future Hall of Fame quarterback who's still in the prime of his career. But as this year played out and as you're watching the Seahawks kind of plateau, um, something had to happen there. Either Pete needed to go or he needed to go. Um, and I, I kind of think this is going to be a good reset for Seattle. Now, the team that gets the quarterback in a league where you need the, need the quarterback, you know, you can't say Denver lost the trade because they're getting – Russell Wilson, you know, but how many more years does Russell really have? I mean, uh, I would say it was a win deal for Seattle because I think Russell's 33. I think the only thing you can bank on is that he's going to have three more high-level years. And then after that, you're probably looking at a player in decline. And so, you know, to trade two number ones, two number twos, um, Shelby Harris, who's a, you know, led the Broncos last year in tackles for loss, led the Broncos defensive lineman in tackles. You know, he's a rotational piece and an interior pass rusher with long arms who should be able to step right into the Seahawks defensive line rotation and make an impact. And they added Noah Fant. Noah Fant was a first-round draft choice. He's only 24. He's a 6'4", 250-pound tight end who can really run. So, you know, now you've got Metcalf and Lockett if they keep him, and you're adding Noah Fant. Um, so, I mean, I kind of like this deal from Seattle's perspective. They got the best of Russell Wilson. He's already played his best football. And, you know, Marcus Mariota, who played his college ball at Oregon, is a free agent. If they wanted to go sign Mariota, I think they probably, I think he would probably be an attractive landing spot for him. Um, then there's also talk they may take some of those picks and flip them to the Texans in a deal for Deshaun Watson. Uh, that would obviously help them to get younger and kind of reopen their title window for a number of years. And obviously, uh, Watson has a number of things that he needs to clear up on his plate. Oh yeah. But if 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 the you know if the criminal cases are not going to stick, if the civil cases are going to be settled, then look at Seattle. They've just gone from 33 year old Russell Wilson to whatever 25 year old or 26 year old Deshaun Watson. So. We'll see. I, I, I think John. I, a lot of people don't like John Schneider. I think John Schneider is one of the better GMs in the game, and um, he doesn't make pick great picks every time. But I think he's got a pretty good vision on how to build a team, and I think he he made good moves here. 
Oh, yeah, and he's had a lot of success there. Uh, the 49ers, and you guys got into this on the YouTube channel, and I totally agree with you about how the 49ers really have to make getting an elite cornerback a priority uh, after you watch Cooper Cup and other receivers, number one receivers that uh, really just attack the Niners' secondary. So there's that, and then, of course, there's the whole situation with Jimmy G and what the Niners get for him when they trade him. So how do you see this playing out? Well, there's a lot of variables here, you know, including Jimmy's shoulder surgery and and how each team views the quarterback market. The rookie market is very speculative at this point. Um, I really like Malik Willis and have for a couple of years out of Liberty, and I think he's got a tremendous arm. Um, but there's some development that's going to be needed there. And the rest of the quarterbacks all have some issue that makes them not top-tier guys. So it's not a great draft for quarterbacks. So when you look at that and you look at the fact that Aaron Rodgers is staying where he is and now Russell Wilson's got a new home, if you're one of these teams, and there are many of them, that don't have a quarterback, you know, pick your poison. You know, it's like, you know, the 49ers, are, I think, are in a great spot. All this talk that they're going to get a conditional seventh-round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo uh, just because people know that they're hugged up against the cap and want to spend some money in free agency, uh, you know, I think that's, that's, that's looking at things too much through Niner glasses. Um, I think teams don't think about the Niners as much as they think about themselves. So, yeah, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to fetch something. As far as what, I don't think it's going to be a first-round pick, but I, I could see it being you know, two picks on day two or maybe two picks on day two in a player. Uh, but this idea that he's not worth anything or they'll be forced to cut him or he's going to go somewhere for a seventh-round pick, I, I, I just think that's, that's not going to happen just simply on the you know, the. the the uh, culture or the climate of, of supply and demand. You know, I mean, there's a limited supply and a very high demand. Um, you know, so, and as far as the number one corner, the 49ers have not had, I mean, they, they need to remake their secondary. I mean, they've got some issues. Um, they've got a, maybe one hole in their offensive line. They've got to get a, get either Trey Lance developed or, or better play at the quarterback position. They could use a speed receiver to kind of you know, spread the field and create space for their offense underneath. And then more than anything, they, you know, they, need a, they need help in their secondary. They, need a free, they probably need to move Jimmy Ward from free safety to strong safety. They probably need to go find another safety who can cover the deep middle. They love to play cover three. It puts a ton of emphasis on your free safety's ability to play that deep center field rover spot and cover a ton of ground in pass coverage, and they don't have that player. So that's a key player. Uh, K1 Williams is, is a nickelback. He's a free agent. Um, that's a key position in your secondary. And then, and then they don't have a number one corner. So I would say this rebuilding the secondary the right way is absolutely at the top of their list of needs, and they have not had a true number one corner. And if they do free themselves up of Jimmy Garoppolo's $25 million, they should have money to throw at the top corner in this case, J.C. Jackson, uh, the former Maryland Terrapin who played for uh, the Patriots, sounds like he's going to not going to be franchised, so he will be in the free agent market. He's far away the best corner on the market. I expect them to go after him. I don't know if they'll land him, but I expect them to go after him hard. 
Yeah, I like him. Saw him have a, a pick six in a game that I covered this year. Uh, as far as Trey Lance is concerned, not a lot of experience there. You got a 49ers team that's still pretty well loaded and, and locked and loaded to try to get back to the Super Bowl. They were in the NFC Championship. So you're handing the keys to this Cadillac, to this young kid in Lance who really hasn't played much. So you know, how, how do you view that? What would you do if you were the 49ers? Um, if I were the 49ers, I'd figure out a way to not trade five first-round picks for Tom Brady, but to get Tom Brady, right? And 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 let Brady finish out his his, you know, his career in the Bay Area and give Trey another year. You know, the one thing that did you watch? I don't know if you watched the Joe Montana documentary. Oh, I loved it. Loved it. It was great. And but one of the things that you're reminded of. I mean, I've lived it. I mean, I've lived here in the market, and I remember every one of those things. But one of the things that you know, I had forgotten was how much Bill Walsh protected Joe Montana when he was coming out of Notre Dame. Yeah. He drafted him in the third round, but he'd just throw him out there. He didn't even play him for a couple of years. And he basically just he just he slowly but surely broke him into the lineup. So it's like times have changed and now everybody wants instant more such an instant gratification culture. And we're like that with our sports teams and we want everything to be instantaneous. Um, and so it's like the fact that Trey Lance was drafted um, in the top five, third overall, there's just a lot of people that were like, you know, put him out there, play him. Well, I mean, he wasn't ready to play. I mean, nobody in the last 40 years had thrown fewer passes uh, in, in their college career than Trey Lance. Yeah. So he, there's, you know, Kyle Shanahan kind of challenged himself to not just find a great young quarterback, but he also needs development. And so that's what's going on. So for him to sit a year to me was a no brainer. Um, I don't, I think it'd be advantageous for him to sit two years. I mean, Roger sat four. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Montana basically sat two years and then, you know, he wasn't really the starter until the 81 season. He was drafted in the 79 draft. So um, I just think people need to show patience with Trey. And if it was up to me, uh, I would try to make try to bring in Brady for a year, and see if you can get that you know Lombardi, that sixth Lombardi Trophy in the trophy case mm-hmm. while you're developing Trey Lance, and then in year three, you know you throw Lance out there, and and I think you got a much better player. I mean, it cannot hurt a young quarterback to sit and watch the maybe the greatest who ever did it uh, do his thing in practice and in games and in preparation. Uh, but to me, that can only be a positive. So, you know, Tom Brady's sitting out there. He has not said the word retire, you know. Um, it sounds like he would very much like to play for the Niners. They bypassed him in 2019. I can't see them bypassing him again. And I realize that the, the Brian Greasy quarterback coach hire, you know, those guys were teammates, Greasy and Brady, at, at, at uh, Michigan. So I, I think that, you know, to me, it, it's, it fits seamlessly, but... You know, the question is at what price? Um, eventually, after June 1st, I could see something happening where Brady gets cut loose. Um, so, you know, Tampa can kind of build their own team and find their own quarterback and use their own cap. Uh, and at that point, maybe Brady to the Niners becomes a reality. All right, good plan there, Larry. Uh, now you can cure the Warriors' ills, and a lot of people seem to think that Draymond Green coming back on Monday is going to solve 
all their issues. I, I don't know that I'm on board totally with that, but you know, speaking of a player who wasn't ready, James Wiseman, he's also trying to make his way back. Meanwhile, Kaminga has been pretty spectacular for a guy who's 19 and didn't have a whole lot of experience. Uh, all that being said, uh, your thoughts on just what's happening with the Warriors because it, it's been kind of sickening for their fans lately. They did pick up a win the other day, but you know, Will Ferrell isn't going to be at every game. Well, I mean, <laughs> well, nothing matters less than NBA regular season games. Right. I mean, is it, I mean, seriously, I mean, I I can make an argument that the NFL preseason has greater greater importance than <laughs> right. than the NBA regular season. I mean, that it's just a it's just a series of games before you enter a tournament where it's seven game series and the best teams move on. Nobody accidentally wins the title. And you don't win the title based on your seed. Um, so, I, you know, yeah, would they have liked to have been the number one seed and have everybody roll through Oakland, uh, roll through uh, Chase? Sure. But it, it hasn't worked out that way. Phoenix has run away and hide. Memphis is, is showing incredible things. I don't care where the Warriors are seeded. I really don't. I mean, what are we talking about? What, it only means one game. If you're, even if you're a five seed, so what? You're, you know, you're not going to have home court. Um, you know, they, they showed on Christmas Day they can roll into Phoenix and beat Phoenix at full strength. Mm-hmm. And they didn't even have Clay Thompson or James Wiseman then. So I got to think, you know, the war, I, lo- I love where the Warriors are at. Um, they, they haven't looked good the last few weeks, but I don't care. I mean, it, to me, it's, it doesn't even matter. Um, Green's back is tricky. And now I had a back surgery, and everybody responds differently, you know, and every surgeon and every surgery is different. He didn't have surgery, but, um, you know, I had back surgery and I had a disc problem and, and, you know, I was lifting weights and running within three, four weeks and never had problems since. But, you know, Steve Kerr had the same procedure and he had his spinal column punctured and spinal fluid leaked out and it caused him an array of complications that lasted for multiple years. Yeah. So, I mean, these things are very, you know, case-by-case basis. I don't know what, you know, how bad his disc issue is, but you're running up and down on the hardwood floor. That can't help. Um, so, I mean, Draymond, they're not winning. They're they're absolutely not winning anything without Draymond Green. So they have to have him healthy. I mean, if, if you tell me he's out for the year, then they're done. No, they're absolutely done. I don't care what else they have. They have no shot to win the title without Draymond Green. Now, James Wiseman, I've heard nothing but incredible things from James Wiseman himself as far as his approach in year two. His approach in year one was, hey, they rolled him out there, and they said, yeah, let's see what you got. And he demonstrated an array of skills. Now they're looking at that array of skills, and they're saying, you know, we don't need you to shoot threes, and we don't need you to put the ball in the deck and go to the hole. We just need you to set picks, rebound, defend, dive to the, to the bucket, finish at the rim, be a lob threat, make teams defend us at the, at the rim. They already have to defend us at the three-point line. Now you make us, def- you know, make them, you know, defend us at the rim. So I think Wiseman's going to add a, an element or several elements that are going to be very valuable. So it's really kind of a weird situation, right, Joe? Because he hasn't, it's already March, he hasn't played. Um, yeah. That right there makes you a little skeptical as to what it may look like. But, um, you know, it's it. We don't know. He either could be, he could be zero part of the postseason rotation. He could be, or he could be a key part of that rotation. It's all based on you know how he looks and the 
whenever he debuts. So, um, you know, Clay Thompson has obviously regressed. He's not the defender that he was pre-injury. He's not, he's not in the same rhythm that he was pre-injury. So he's, he's a diminished player. Um, Steph Curry's obviously in decline. I mean, there's just no doubt about that. I mean, we can talk about this and that and his off court stuff and his muscle bound physique and all these, whatever. He's 33 and the arrow's pointing down. So, and then the arrow's pointing up on Moses Moody and Jonathan Kuminga and James Wiseman. So somewhere there, you're going to have the Warriors. It's hard to handicap exactly what they are because you have ascending players and descending players and some injured players. But at the end of the day, it's a deep, talented team with championship pedigree, and I expect them to give it a good run. You know, I, don't, I think, you know, worst-case scenario, they wind up you know, winning a couple series and ducking out. Best-case scenario, they, win, you know, they cut down the nets in the finals. So I think it's all there for them. Yeah, I agree, and I think that the NBA playoffs are going to be super exciting because there's no clear front runner this year. All right, I saved the worst for last, Larry. Baseball, what a mess. I mean, I'm just so frustrated with it. I almost don't even want to talk about it, but I've said this several times that what you have to do is just get one sensible person in the room that's unbiased to solve the issues that they're having. They just don't have that. They have two sides that have been dug in. They're canceling games. It's just a, a wreck. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's sad, too, because it's like maybe their pie is growing, but their sport is shrinking. Yeah, that's so, right. You know, you can argue, they can, anybody can sit there and say, well, you know, look at the revenues. The revenues are going up. So what? You've lost your place in the consciousness of the American sports fan. You're not, you've lost your relevancy in the, in the, the minds of the American sports fans. So you can add your your gambling dollars and add your TV revenue and all this stuff and try to make it look like you're a you know a growing industry, but it's it's not growing. I have teenagers. You know, you can't convince me that baseball is growing. You know, yeah. um, you know, I don't care what the numbers say. It's not growing in the minds of the public. It may be growing in some. Some you know because you've now embraced gambling and how stupid do, they, do you look by the way you you know gambling was like you know the third rail and you know it was like gambling was like the evil of all evils right until MLB decided to make money on it and now it's like hey we're making money on it you know great but but Joe Shoeless Joe Jackson's still not in the hall right. Pete Rose is still not in the hall. But now you're now you're accepting gambling money because what? Because the the culture has changed and we become more of a gambling culture. So I mean, base, baseball has been sitting there fighting it out for a, for a, a less relevant uh, revenue pie instead of getting together and actually sitting there and saying, what can we do to jumpstart our sport and make it more relevant with twelve year olds. To make it more relevant with with fifteen year olds, to make it more inclusive for for all Americans. I mean, what what, what has happened to the African American population in baseball? I mean, there is no there are no black players in the game for the most part compared to when we were kids. Yeah. So the game is less dynamic and less athletic than ever before. I mean, if you watch how many, if you watch the football game in 1974, and you watch a football game in 2022, 
the game in 74 was not more athletic. The game's more athletic today. NBA's more athletic today. Only in baseball was the game you know, more athletic in the mid-70s than it is in 2022. There's no denying it. I mean, nobody's stealing 100 bases. Nobody's stealing 75 bases. Nobody's, the, the, the athletes, you know, I mean, there are great athletes that play the game, but you would never know it because the analytics people that run the game don't want to steal bases. And, and now we've got this awful shift, so you hit rockets into right field and they throw you out at first base. I mean, <laughs> baseball's, you know, it, there's, there's less action in the game than ever before. You know, it's a strikeout, it's a walk, it's a home run. There's no action. There's no stol- no stolen bases. I can remember going to a Giants-Cardinals doubleheader in the late 80s with Roger Craig managing the Giants and Whitey Herzog managing the Cardinals, and it was a million times more entertaining and more action-packed than what you have right now. Yeah, because Vince Coleman, had, right? <laughs> you had Vince Coleman, and you had Ozzie Smith, and Lonnie Smith, and, and pitch-outs, and Giants, you know, catchers throwing out cardinal base dealers and just athletes and you know running and movement and i mean just there's not nearly there's no action and 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 the kids don't want to watch it you know i mean i i've got kids who play high school baseball now think about this way if you have a if you have a 15 16 17 18 year old kid who is playing high school baseball and you've got the giants game on the tube and you can only maybe three times a night get them to even come down to look at a highlight of a, a part of the game. You got a problem. You got a problem. Absolutely. You know, if the baseball playing high school kid who's 15 doesn't find fun in the game, then who the hell's going to like the game? I know. You know, so baseball's got a problem and they need more than just, a, a, you know, a, a bean counter like Manfred who called the world series trophy, a hunk of metal. <laughs> You're going to need more than that to inspire the audience. So baseball's got to get with it. Um, I love it. You love it. But so what? We're already there. They need to attract, you know, my kid. And right now my kid's not interested in it. And he plays baseball. So, I mean, you know, that, and and there's a huge disconnect between um, youth baseball and pro baseball. I mean, they just cut off half their minor league teams um, they're shrinking the sport. The game becomes very exclusive at the high school level as far as travel ball. You know, I mean, it's thousands of dollars to pay for travel ball for the most part. How many inner city kids who like baseball can afford to pay thousands of dollars to be on a travel ball team? Yeah. So it's like they've got to figure out a way to somehow get the young people into the game and excited about the game and energized about the game. And they got to make their, you know, the, the average baseball player has no Q rating uh, overall compared to mediocre or even, you know, subpar NBA players. I mean, there's, there's, there's way more people that are, that know who Patrick Beverly is than know who, you know, uh, Juan Soto is. Yeah. I mean, think about that. 
More people know Patrick Beverly than Juan Soto. Juan Soto is like a triple crown candidate and one of the all-time greats, potentially. And Patrick Beverly is just a pesky defender <laughs> who's been on like his fifth team. Right. But you say Patrick Beverly in a sports bar, and you say Juan Soto, and more people know Patrick Beverly. That's a problem. You know? Yeah. Baseball needs to market their stars. Baseball needs to figure out you know, who their stars are, market them to the public, make their game more inclusive, get more people playing the game. They've got all these academies in Santo Domingo and around the world. Where's your academy in Chicago, Illinois? Where's your academy in New York, New York? Where's your academy in Los Angeles, California? You know, do do they exist? Where's the investment in developing the top young players and competing for them here in the States? I don't see it. I don't see it. So, Baseball is a myriad of issues. They're battling right now over monetary issues between billionaires and millionaires, and they've totally missed the boat that their sport is becoming less relevant by the minute. Oh, absolutely. Serious issues. And by the way, uh, if and when the Giants do start to play again, it's going to be strange for Giants fans who have watched them over the last uh, you know, 10 to 12 years to not have Buster Posey around. You talk about a face of a franchise, and that's the guy that you, you, know, you would always want to watch every one of his at-bats. And uh, he retires at, you know, it seemed like a younger age than maybe some people thought. Uh, so we're going to miss Buster Posey out on the field. Absolutely. I mean, they're going to miss him in the clubhouse. They're going to miss him. The pitchers are going to miss him. The hitters are going to miss him. I mean, the Giants take a gigantic step back. I mean, they won 107 last year. If you ask, if you said to me, how many games would they have won if they hadn't had Buster? I would say around 20 less games. Mm, I think their 107 win team would have won like 87 games without Buster. (laughs) Yeah. You know? So, I mean, how many baseball players mean 20 games in the standings? But that's what he means. That's what he means. He's their brain. He's their pitching staff's brain. He's the leader of their defense. He's a major cog in their offense. Um, And I think that's going to be one of the interesting things, too. I don't think they're going to hand the reins to Joey Bart. I I, I think they're going to trade for Wilson Contreras. And I wouldn't even be surprised if they traded Joey Bart. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he's you know proven anything as of yet. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see what they do. Larry, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Uh, everybody, watch for Larry on the YouTube channel and other uh, exciting news that's coming our way soon with you. I wish you nothing but the best. Joe, thank you very much, man. You've been a good friend for a lot of years, and uh, you know we go way back. So anytime you want me to come on, just let me know. That's Larry Kruger. Want to thank him for coming on and. I'll tell you what, it was interesting. Less than two hours after I got off the phone with Larry, Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association came to an agreement, and we are going to have a baseball season, and we're going to have a full season, 162 games. So we'll talk more about that on next week's podcast with Josh Towers, a former Major League pitcher. I got to know him when he was in AAA in the Orioles organization. So we're going to get his thoughts and what he thinks about the agreement and uh, catch up with Josh and see what he's up to these days. Looking forward to that next week. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.